I'm on. Good morning. Ryan Love, how are you, sir? Can you come help me? Are you awake? I wanted to catch you while you were still awake. Can you come help me out? I may get in a little bit of trouble for this, so I don't know. I have a deck of cards, okay? Just to make something clear, we are not betting, okay? There are no bets. I just want to do a card trick with you. Do you like card tricks? Okay. Do all you out here like card tricks? Yeah, I think we like card tricks. So here's what's going to happen. This is going to be really simple. Okay, this is a normal deck. Actually, somebody said there were 53 cards. There's the joker. We'll take them out. So now there's only one joker standing up here. <laughs> but but don't. I won't let anybody else call you that. Uh-oh, I dropped a card. Okay, so these are all normal cards. Okay, I'm going to kind of shuffle them up a little bit. I'm not real good at this. So I'm, I want you to take a card. Okay, now I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to turn around. And I want you to show everybody that card so that they can see what's going on. Okay, does everybody see the card? Yes. Most people see the card. Okay, so you remember your card. Okay, just I want you to slide it in the deck now because I, I want to make sure that I don't see that card. So what I'm going to attempt to do now is I'm going to try to attempt to figure out what card is yours. But I think I know what it is. I think it's this card. Is this it? Okay, this is a church building. You can't lie. You're making me look really bad. Tell me this is your card. No. <laughs> Can I have a different volunteer, somebody? Okay, so that's not the card. So, but I think I, if I, I, you know what? I forgot to do the magic word. Abracadabra. Now thump it. Come on, thump it. How that hurt. You get it good? You think, I think it's going to come out now. Here we go. You ready? Here we go. Is, are, I think I'm going to find your card. I'm not sure. I could. Wait, what? What is that? Is is that your card? It, how did you do that? You are so magical. That's so. Everybody, give him a hand. That is so wonderful. I cannot believe. Okay, so you really want to know what happened, don't you? Okay, so this is why people stay up here with me. This is why people love magic. Because there's some mystery to it. There's some intrigue. We, we want to figure out what's going on. It's not just the fact that something crazy happens. <coughs> Excuse me. It's the fact that after we watch a magic trick, we try to figure out what's going on and how the magician was able to do that magic trick. Now, any good real magician will tell you it's not magic. It's sleight of hand. There's something going on. This one was really simple. And I'm going to give it away because I want you to know. So you can go tell your friends at school and you can show them. Don't bet though, okay? If you do bet, you have to give me all the proceeds. Okay, so you're going to pick a card again. Okay, pick a card. Now it doesn't matter what card you pick. Now while you're showing everybody the card, watch what I do. I'm going to take the top card. I'm going to flip the whole deck over and I'm going to put this card back on top. So, there are 51 cards in the deck because he has one of them. The top card is upside down. All the others are facing up. So, but you were showing everybody. You didn't see that, right? You just saw this, so you think all the cards are down. So, you go ahead and slide that in. Slide that in. No, you put it face down. Now, when you're sliding it in, you're putting it right face down. All the other cards are face up. So, I burn the first card and say, is this your card? And while you're looking at this, I flip this deck back over again. And so now, every card is down except what one? 
the one that you stuck in there. So we're going to look, we're going to look, we're going to look, and there's the queen of hearts. You've got, so now you know a magic trick, right? Okay, um, is, your mom's not in here. She must be teaching class or something. So you go do that to your mom later on today. Oh, she's staying. Okay, she, well, you, you show her that card trick. You tell her, I learned something in, in church today. <laughs> I learned, thank you, Ron. Let's give him a hand one more time. Did, did my slides show up? Did they make it onto the big screen? Okay, I want to talk about something. We love uh, mystery. We love intrigue. We love to find things out. And, and this is not something that's new. It's been going on for quite a while, but I decided to do a little bit of research, and it wasn't that hard. But here's some of the shows that have been on TV in the last few years, or maybe the last you know, a few hundred years that involve mystery. CSI. I love CSI, right? Because you have CSI, you have CSI Miami, you have CSI New York. I think there might be a CSI CSI Los Angeles. I mean, before long, we're going to have a CSI Eunice. Okay, they just keep adding more and more of these. Monk, Agatha Christie, The Mentalist. Anybody remember Columbo? Doctor Who, Bones, how about Murder, She Wrote, NCIS, which is not CSI, those are different, okay, Criminal Minds, Lost, oh, here's a great one, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who hasn't watched that one, Pretty Little Liars, Sherlock Holmes, Alfred Hitchcock, you remember those, oh, The Twilight Zone, I would watch those when I was a kid, and oh, those were so scary, Burn Notice, Magnum P.I. Come on, ladies. We know that Tom Selleck, he was a hunk of a man, right? And he drove around in his Ferrari. We love that, okay? Uh, The Saint, Cold Case. Anybody remember Moonlighting with Bruce Willis? Okay. Angel, Perry Mason, another old one. Matlock, Crossing Jordan. And who could forget Knight Rider? With, the, with David Hasselhoff and the car that could talk to him. Jag, Heart to Heart, Walker, Texas Rangers, Blue Bloods. Oh, my favorite one growing up, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Even as kids, we loved these mysteries. And it all came down at the end where if it wasn't for you meddling kids, I would have got away with it. Right? Cagney and Lacey. Dragnet, Hawaii Five-O, the old one and the new one. Hill Street Blues, that was my dad's favorite TV show growing up. NYPD Blue, this one I hadn't thought of in a long time. Remington Steel, you remember Remington Steel? Rockford Files and the X-Files. There are countless, countless, and here's a few more examples, Twin Peaks, other ones. When you turn on the TV and not only are you inundated with thousands of channels and probably millions of shows, many of the shows have to do with some kind of mystery type involved in them. Uh, even if you don't watch a lot of TV, there's books like The Hardy Boys going back a few years and Nancy Drew. That these suspense novels, and in fact, that's pretty normal. Okay, people love to see a problem solved. And this is exactly why I cannot stand watching these shows. 
They drive me crazy. I don't know. I just, I just want to... I'm, I'm going to just break your heart right now. I'm going to tell you, there is no such thing as a van like they have in CSI. I was flipping through the channels the other day, right? And CSI came on. I watched a 20-second show, and I, just, I had to walk out. 20-second part of the show, okay? So a, a car blew up, okay? They found a piece on the ground. Okay, and they looked at it, and on, the, on that piece, there was a serial number inscribed on it, and they determined that a modification had been done to this really old car. So they walked out to their van, which pulled out this little, little office in the back, and they typed in all of the mechanics in the, in the neighborhood, in the area, that have worked on, on this type of vehicle over the last, you know, Two years. Because we all know that every shade meat tree mechanic, when they work on a car, they go onto the web and they say, you know, I, I, I fixed this on the car. And then they send it up so people would know, right? And then instantly, not only do they have the shop, but they have the person who owns the car, their cell phone number, and there is a live satellite image of where that person is sitting and what kind of coffee they like to order. Like, and they have their DNA, all just like that. Every single show immediately starts with a problem. And an hour minus commercials, 42 minutes later, it's solved. Every time. It happens with CSI, it happens with all, it happens with Scooby-Doo. They're always solved. So let's go to this next slide. We have a black slide. Okay, let's, I want to talk about this. If you are familiar with English uh, and literature, you're going to understand this graph. It's a plot diagram. You have at the beginning of a story, uh, it, it begins, and at some point, okay, there's going to be some kind of incident, some kind of conflict that's going to arise. So NCSI, CSI, all these, it immediately begins with some kind of criminal activity. Almost always it involves somebody dying. Okay? And then there's this rising action. Okay? Now we have this spread out. Thank you. We have this spread out. If this, you know, this is more like a book. If this were like a, um, a TV show, the rising action, instead of this gradual one, it almost shoots straight up. Because you don't have very long to figure out. You know, in between all the commercials, you've got to figure out who done it. Okay, then you have the climax, which almost always involves an NCIS, whatever, all those shows, that at the very last second before a, an identical crime is about to be committed again, somebody kicks open the door and saves who, who would be the second victim, right? Have I just given away every part of every show you're now going to watch? And then they arrest the guy. Okay, they put him in handcuffs, which is, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, I, I, you, police officers don't kick down a door, shoot 12 people, and five minutes labor, later, they have like a medal that they're putting on him. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. But this is how they do it in CSI, in CSI, Miami, and Los Angeles. And then there's the resolution. We love this. Okay, this works. This works in books, this works in movies, this works in TV shows, this works in jokes that we tell. 
We always have this rising issue, this action. It reaches a climax, and then there's resolution. We're able to fit, figure it out. The bad guy goes to jail. The, 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 the good guy is exonerated. You know, everybody thought he was the bad guy. They really, he's, we love this. We eat this up. We read about this. We watch this. We, we daydream about this happening in our lives. There's a problem, there's a climax, there's a resolution. So why have we just wasted 12 and a half minutes of your life talking about something that one, you already know, and two, really has nothing to do with the Bible or spirituality? Well, actually, in a way it does. This morning, we are going to just briefly talk about a book that we're going to expand on later in class. I'm doing it again. We're going to have a class. It's a Bible class for adults. We have Bible classes for kids. We have two Bible classes actually for adults. One of them in the quads, one's in the family room. We want to encourage you to stay uh, for either one of those. In the quads, we're going to be looking at the book of Job. And Job is a different book. And in fact, Job, in a lot of ways, breaks off from NCSI, NCIS, and Sherlock Holmes, and Murder, She Wrote, and all the other books that you've written. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. It, it's going to seemingly get truncated. The end is not going to get there, and it's going to be bothersome to some people. In fact, I think that was the intention of the book of Job. To leave people wondering. There have been different generations of things. Uh, we've had the, the age of, of uh, different types of, of metals. We have the Iron Age and the Bronze Age. Now we've hit the age of information. And before we, we're going to back up on this slide, I guess you've already seen this slide, so I'll, we'll talk about the book of Job. There's going to be a conflict, there's going to be a rising action, and there's going to be a climax. And then right there, where's our green dot? Right here is where Job ends. There's 42 chapters in Job. The first two deal with Job and his situation and then we run off 35 chapters of Job and his three friends. And I, I want to put the friends in quotes. Because they're not really the best friends. They start off being great friends. Job is under a great deal of turmoil. And Job, like almost every other book that we've studied so far, is filled with just some really tough things to read. And if you're absolutely honest, you're going to read the first part of Job and you're going to walk away saying, Job had a really tough life and God didn't look very good. I mean, the story opens up Talking about Job and how everything is great with him. 
And then we have this, this very interesting, intriguing paragraph about how when the, when the angels come to speak with God, who tags along with them? Satan comes along. And God's opening line to Satan is, well, first he says, hey, where have you been? And Satan says, well, I've been roaming back and forth all over the world. He's looking for victims. And God says, hey, have you noticed Job? Job is a righteous man. He's faithful. And Satan pops off with, of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? You've put a hedge around him. You've protected him. Why shouldn't he worship you? He can do whatever he wants because he's your, your I'm sorry, he is your favorite of all the people. If some bad things happened to him, I bet you he wouldn't be so worshipful. And get this. God says to his faithful, about his faithful servant, he says to Satan, okay, I give you permission. Go after him. I mean, it's, it's a crazy story. Job is faithful to God. He's righteous. It talks about how he has seven sons and three daughters. It talks about in this opening paragraph of of Job chapter 1 that that his sons and daughters would get together and have these great feasts. And then Job would send people so that they would be purified. And then he would offer a sacrifice because he said, what if maybe in all their excitement and their partying and they have fun, what if maybe they just curse God? So I'm, I'm going to offer a sacrifice on behalf of my kids because they might have done something wrong. He's faithful. He's righteous. And you know what God does in response to that? He says, go ahead, Satan. Do what you want. But you can't touch him. And so then we have these, these four calamities tragedies that occur. Two of them are brought on by by neighboring uh, peoples, warring that come in and and take away his possessions. Two of them occur by what we would call acts of God. Isn't that odd that they're considered acts of God and yet they were really brought on by Satan? And yet... To mix it up even more, Satan got permission from God. But but don't forget this, Satan had to get permission from God. So what does Job get for being faithful? He loses everything. All of his livestock, his children, they were all in the house. It collapsed. They were killed. One servant after another, after another, after another came in and said, 
I'm the only one who escaped. You've lost your kids. You've lost your cattle. You've lost everything. And Job breaks down. And he says, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometime later, God's up there in heaven. His angels come. And guess who tags along with them? Satan. And God says, Hey, Satan, where have you been? And he says, Oh, I've, I've been roaming back and forth through the earth. And he says, And God says, Well, have you noticed my servant Job? God was, was poking him. I gave you permission. Look at all this that you had to do to him. I let you do this, except you just couldn't touch him. You could do anything else to his family and to his possessions. And Job says, well, you know, it's easy to worship God when you have your health. But what happens if you lose your health? And God says, okay, do whatever you want. You you can't kill him. This is what God does for His faithful, righteous servants. After He has allowed him to lose his family and his possessions, He says, okay, Satan, go after Job. Is this how God rewards the faithful? The more faithful you are, the more likely that He's going to allow Satan to just destroy your life. He breaks out and hides. He's sitting in a pile of ashes. He's got a piece of pottery that's broken and he's scraping his arm. His wife comes out and says what? Curse God and die. His friends hear about what has taken place and and they do something so beautiful and so wonderful. They gather together, they travel, they see Him from a long way off. They tear off their clothes and put on sackcloth and they mourn. They go and they do this. Listen to what they do. They sit. And they don't say a word. Seven days, seven nights. They sit and mourn. I don't know that there is a better example of ministry to those who are grieving than to sit with people in the ash heap and mourn with them. The next time you walk into a hospital, the next time you go to a funeral and you're thinking, oh no, what am I supposed to say? Zophar, Bildad, And Eliphaz, that first week, they had a great answer. Don't say a word. But you know that Job doesn't end in chapter 3. It goes on. And they're going to argue with Job back and forth. And they're basically going to say, God destroys people who are unrighteous. And he says, but I haven't done anything wrong. And they argue back and forth and back and forth. And finally, God comes in on the scene. 
chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. God does the questioning. And He basically says, Who do you think you are? Were you there when I laid the foundation? That is one of 69 questions. And I don't want to use the word peppered because that's not really good. That is one of 69 questions that God asked Job. Job says, I want answers. We all want answers. That's why we watch CSI. Because we get this crazy part where we can't figure it out, but then 20 minutes later, we have all the answers. And the show ends, and then we get to watch another show. We love it. This is not the Bronze Age. This isn't the Iron Age. This is the Age of Information. We have the worldwide Internet. It's it's impossible to try to figure out how big the internet is, but I did a little bit of research on this, and here's what I came up with, okay? Here's how it works. There are about six, almost seven billion people in the world, okay? If you were to take all the information on the internet and burn it onto CDs, okay, that would make approximately seven billion. 7 trillion CDs. So, it's, it's easy. If everybody in the world got a stack of 1,000 CDs, and everybody looked through their 1,000 CDs, then we would all know what's on the World Wide Web. But the problem is, when you think CDs, you think, oh, I listen, on the, I listen to my CD in my car. It takes about an hour long. But a CD which holds data holds approximately, uncompressed, 100,000 pages of information on each CD. Uncompressed. So, it's really simple. You want to know what's on the internet? Get everybody in the world to sit down and and look through their 1,000 CDs, each of which have 100,000 pages. So let's do the math. 100,000, a million, 10 million, 100 million, 1 billion. If everybody in the world reads 1 billion pages of information... We've got the World Wide Web figured out. We love it. We Google it. We want information. We want to know. And you know what Job says? You know what Job really says? It says, you don't know. And you will never know how God works. You're never going to figure it out. You have 7 trillion CDs and you cannot figure out my ways. There is not one piece of information on the internet that's going to be able to answer the questions that God asked Job. We want to know the answer. 
Because we believe that information is some kind of currency. That knowledge is some kind of commodity. And the more that we have, the more important we are. And we love to prove that the Bible is real based on logical information. And it can happen. As I was reading through Job, I ended up on on a website that had a blog that talked about Job. And before long, it turned into this big argument about whether or not the Bible is true and God is real. Or if it's a bunch of myths and legends that came from other stories that predate the Bible. Arguments and words and names were spread across the two groups of people as they tried to determine logically if there's a God. Because they want the answer. And Job says, God is God. And for some of us, we find ourselves in an ash heap, itching, and scraping our sores with a piece of pottery. And God says, I'm still God. And I'm still in control. And when we don't have the answers, our response is, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's 42 chapters long. I'm going to encourage you, as I will in class in just a few moments, to sit down at some point and read this. Listen to Job and his three friends as they discuss who God is and what He does. But ultimately, rest on this. We have a God who's in control. And He is bigger than what we can see and what we can feel and experience. And He's in control. This week as you experience some wonderful news, may you say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And for those of you who have found yourself continually in the ash heap, let me encourage you, God is bigger and He's in control. May you sit there and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And for all of us, look for the ashes. Grab the sackcloth. And let's minister to people who are hurting. So ultimately we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to encourage you to find ways to glorify God in all circumstances. Let's do it as we stand and sing.